Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast. I am Tony Rhodes and tonight I'm joined with by not one, but two Dans. So of course, tonight we have Red Tooth, Dan number one. Hello. And of course we have Mr. Garage Hobbit himself, Dan A. Right, it's Garage. How difficult is it to say? (laughs) Garage. 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 I don't I don't know why that one always slips away from me. Yes. Garage Hobbit Daniel. Hello. <laughs> so yes, we've got both Dan's tonight and uh <laughs> I don't know how obvious it is to our long term listeners, but for some reason we infamously often have technical issues when we get both Dan's in the same room. So hopefully that won't happen tonight. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, welcome back. Um, welcome once again to the Narrative Wargamer podcast. Uh, to those listening um, on podcasting platforms, welcome. And to those watching us on YouTube, it's wonderful to actually have the show up there now as well on a more regular basis. So, yeah, I've been enjoying getting it up on YouTube as well, and it seems like people are enjoying it and finding the show. Um, so, yes. Welcome. Um, tonight, we've got a few interesting things we're going to be talking about, um, and part of that is what we've been up to recently, because uh, Daniel has been up to something very interesting, Daniel. Where, where have you been recently? I, I got to go to one of the coolest little, and I say little, it is relatively little, uh, events called Bring Out Your Lead, which, if you've never been, is basically the mecca of all old and middle hammer. Which I didn't even realise Middle Hammer was a thing, but it is a thing. Middle Hammer, yeah, it's, it's in the particular editions. Um, we took, I took, oh, okay, yeah. So I think Middle Hammer is sort of like, from a forty k perspective, I think that's like third edition to fifth, that kind of period of time. Um, oh, that turns out I, I, I am of the Middle Hammer generation. You're, a, you're of the Middle days. Hammer. Um, and my neighbour and I, uh, we took our second edition. Of armies to play and it was amazing because we were effectively imagine glastonbury for wargaming that's effectively what we walked into at the uh weekend it was pouring with rain we we're in the middle of a f- field slash farm <laughs> um people were getting covered in mud stuck in mud where there was marquees and effectively we were going to play in one of the barns there but there was a hole in the roof so we have sort of got moved to the pyramid stage of of the uh of the war gamer <laughs> event and uh, got to play in front of loads of people it was great it was just ah oh, it's fantastic uh it's run by uh or the, the foundry games host it so it's uh it's a fantastic little event and there were lots of people it was really enjoyable and my goodness there was so much to explain and i'm rambling in my rambly type way not at all. I mean, so it's funny how you first introduced me to the event like um, a year, about a year ago. I mean, I say introduced, I've not been. I have not had a chance to go yet. I would like to go next year, hopefully, depending on when and where it happens. But um, it sounds like it, it, it wouldn't. It sounded like a great idea when you first told me about it. And having seen pictures of it, you know, this last week from on like social media and everybody who went posting about it, that looks great. <laughs> yeah, like I say, it's. I mean, it's got old, old hammer 
Hot to life, as it were. Yeah, I mean, it's got everything. People running Rogue Trader games, people running a massive game, and I do apologise to whoever runs it. Um, my neighbour is be- much better with names, but there was there's always a massive, uh, massive game of we're, Necromunda. We're, worth pointing out that Daniel's neighbour is also a big Warhammer yes. player, not just not just uh, boasting how good he is with names. <laughs> no, I just, I just. Um, uh, yeah, it's. I don't just randomly drag my neighbours to events. He actually plays uh, 40k. Uh, we play quite regularly. Um, but yeah, uh, and weirdly, uh, John Blanche was just like hanging out playing Necromunda, and it was just quite cool to to see see him do that. It's quite a bizarre, surreal experience to watch him and a load of other people play Necromunda. Um, just bonkers, but there you go. Yeah, so this was, um, it was in Nottingham, wasn't it, this time? Yes. Which is where traditionally it's been held. We don't know if that's where it's going to be next year, but that's yet to be determined. Um, so there was a selection of interesting Warhammer personalities there by the sounds of it, and it sounds like he got a chance to rub shoulders. Yes, I did. I, I got to meet Louise Sugden, which was pretty awesome. She's a very nice lady, and uh, she, uh, she, I asked, I, I got very, very starstruck and said, um, would you really mind doing a selfie? Because my daughter really likes watching you on on YouTube with me, and it would be really good. Thanks. <laughs> and she was lovely and oh, said yes. Your daughter, and she, right? You know, it, mm. yeah, 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 no, it is. It is. It is. Sure. It is. Uh, <laughs> she's, like, she's like, all right, Dad. You can say if you want to get the. <laughs> so um, yeah, so Louise really appreciates the fact that a lot of. Uh, Gamers of my generation watch um, <laughs> watch uh, watch YouTube painting videos with their kids, so it's just really nice to have her as a, a positive role model. And she's lovely; she's so nice. She's very lovely. So uh, I, I I did get a bit starstruck. Uh, I also saw, but did not get to talk to uh, Trish and um, is it Trish Mor- uh the monster lady that's her tag on on instagram yes yeah yeah she was um and i also saw gary morley and went oh, that's gary morley and he went all right he didn't go all right i, I didn't speak to him because uh, again <laughs> he was there though i just get embarrassed and uh, and the last time i spoke to someone vaguely uh famous from gw uh i said something rather silly which i was discussing before um we came on. Would you like to hear the, the story now, Tony? Because it is quite a funny story. Oh, yeah. Go on, Andrew. You were going to tell us the story um, before we started recording, but we never so, got to it. And I do have people who can prove this happened because they always they do bring it up. But I accidentally chatted up uh, Graham McNeil. Uh, when, <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, those of you who... Uh, lived in the London, South London area at the time. Uh, the third, did he do the third or no, he did this, the second Horus Heresy book when that was coming out. Yep. And yep. yep. And he, uh, was doing some signings at some, an event called conflict, which I was working at at the time. Cause I used to work for GW and, um, I wanted my copy signed cause I thought, yeah, that would be great. So I walked up to him, uh, all confidence, really excited. Oh, it's Graham McNeil, is that? And I just went, 
I got really nervous. I go, uh, hi, hi, Graham. Uh, would you please uh, sign my book for me? And he went, yes, yeah, sure. I'd love to. And then it happened. Um, I started, started <laughs> talking without engaging my brain and said, uh, you look like you've been working out. Yeah. Yeah. You look, you look, you look really good. How are you doing? And he was like, well, well, thank you. I have been. Thanks very much. So, uh, yeah, and he, he, he appreciated the compliment, but my friends couldn't help wetting themselves with laughter. Uh, the fact that I was casually trying to shout out Graham McNeil um, <laughs> after he signed my book. So, yeah, uh, he oh, probably amazing. won't remember that, but it was it was quite an amusing uh, thing at the time. So, yes. so I, I, I do might do. That. Sounds like it was a nice compliment. It was, well, exactly. That's what I thought. It was a nice compliment. I, I, I said he... he He's got nice guns, and and that was that was. Yeah. Cool. I was gonna say, surely you should have gone <laughs> to sign your book, Galaxy in Games. <laughs> <laughs> I still I still got the signed copy of the book in, as well, so it's uh, yeah, it's quite uh, quite funny. But yeah, that was my my weekend. It was full of uh, awesome forty k goodness, and it was just really nice having people come up to me and saying and watching the game. And looking at it and go, oh wow, um, this looks like out of the page of White Dwarf. I, I would love to say that I had um, some sort of uh, dealings in the terrain that was made, but that was all my neighbour Chris, who makes amazing second edition style terrain. In fact, he uses the templates from Rogue Trader and the Here We Go book uh, from. I think it's Here We Go, the, the one of the. Free, is it yeah, Freeboot? Well, here, here we go. Well, the, the two Rogue Trader books that are, have got a load of stuff sure. in, but yeah, really, really good. Yeah. Um, so this yes. is the uh, the second edition game you played with ultramarine, bright, bright blue ultramarines against yep. multicolored orcs, right? Yep. The the nineteen early nineties uh, mid nineties style white dwarf esque type yeah. game, and it was just really nice having people come up to you with big grins on their face going, I remember looking at this through a page in White Dwarf. I was like, oh, thanks, guys. We even had the spiky cacti, which yes, are dangerous. The spiky plant. <laughs> really I remember dangerous. those well. Yeah, I could only imagine. But yeah, like it, it, I saw those pictures on your Instagram and it looked impressive. Like It looked like they were taken from an old white dwarf like as if he were there as the photographer for white dwarf taking the pictures because they just those orc buildings are just so classic you know sort of um like the desert mud not mud huts but you know what I yeah mean, like the, yeah yeah the, the mud hut type style with the flat yeah. adobe buildings that's the, the i think that's their yes name um uh you'll be yeah. pleased to know tony that the orcs won again um hey. as they orcs usually do um, however, <laughs> some standout moments in the game, and, and this is for the for the narrative aspect of it, uh, I had Kalgar and Tigerius, and uh, I won't go through the rules because it will be just too complicated to explain, but just bear in mind that Marnius Kalgar was teleported across the entire table to hit a, a mech with a shock attack gun with his fists and then continue to beat up the Warlord um, and basically play a game of ping pong with being teleported across everywhere, smashing people in the face with his fist, and it was hilarious. Um, that, that sounds that, brilliant. 
and an orc goth mob threw grenades at a rhino, destroyed the bolt gun on the rhino, which then detonated the magazine on the rhino, which blew the rhino up, killing everyone inside. Perfect. Mm. Because second edition. Because second edition. This kind of orc ballistic skill there. Throw explosives. Well, this is this is of a time where orcs had decent ballistic skill. This is this is pre um, uh, orcs. Uh, orcs would have instead of shooters, they'd have bolt pistols, and they had ballistic skill three, which is pretty pretty outstanding. They only became I can do this. I'm sorry, I'm going to get my pipe out and go. They only became ballistic skill uh, two um, because of the battle report that they did in uh, the one based on Zulu. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. The- the Orcs Drift one. Yes. So basically, they wrote in the rules that they reduced the ballistic skill down to two and they kind of kept it for third edition. Um, yeah, it was, it was reduced ballistic skill by one and it and increased weapon skill by one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Which yeah. has basically st- stuck since for all Orcs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ever since their solution uh, to ballistic skill has generally been just give them more shots. Yeah. Yep. Which more bullets? More bullets because more bullets yeah. is good. You know, the the amount of times I say to people when I'm playing games of arcs, it's like I more or less achieved the same statistical output as like most other units when it comes to shooting. It's just that I have to roll four times as many dice to get, <laughs> <laughs> and it it's takes four times as long. Yeah, and it takes four times as long because of it. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. No, I, I, I was going to say like it looks like something that I'd, I'd love to get down to myself and say. Like, I, I, so I don't particularly own like you know a selection of second edition armies or even many of my, my old like third edition armies and stuff like that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners don't either. But that's not something that's an issue because I it sounds like the sort of event I'd love to just go down to as a spectator. You know, just like come down, hang out, see all the boards, see all the games. You know, um, just see these this piece of you know games workshop history brought to life uh, it's worth if you can ever get it's it's uh running foundries uh well at the moment currently it's running uh foundry games is uh hq and um they've got all of the old first rogue trader gw stuff they've got the gene stealer limo that they made they've got all in cabinets so they you can see it and view it and stuff so there's like uh all the old horrors all the chaos warriors the RTBO ones, uh, Space Marine. It's really quite good from a history point of view if you're interested in that kind of thing. So, yeah. sure. Yeah, no, it sounds great. Like I said, I definitely, I think I'll try and make it to next year's one if I can. I definitely recommend it. I mean, there were a lot more people there this year than I've seen um, there usually. So, yeah, it's worth a go game before it becomes too popular and uh, yeah the top. hipsters I was, the hipster yeah, crowd I, coming I, in and i was there back in the day man yeah. <laughs> you don't know what I, it's like. I mean i can officially say that i started on second edition so i was there yeah. <laughs> literally there playing second edition uh 
Um, and amazingly, you say that um, Dave's never actually made it, despite oh. being probably our resident old hammerhead, more so. Yeah, than I've tried to get him to come, but he's always usually on holiday or something. Um, he would definitely very much enjoy it. Um, and he probably, what's scary is he probably owns already most of the stuff they've got on show there. So he probably has two of them. <laughs> uh, in, in, yeah. There you go. If ever they need to double capacity, all we have to do is ring up Dave. I think David come. Dave is one of the only people that Warhammer will ring up when they need to do a, a, a special display of something. Oh, we haven't got this because we accidentally lost it. I know who has one, Dave. And he, in my mind, he's got like a special, a special Dave bat phone um, that he picks up. That's a direct line to Warhammer World. Who, um, who ring him up and go, "Oh, we need, we need this." And he goes, "Hang on, I've got six. I'll just go and find them in my cupboard." Uh, and then he pulls out like six of them. Uh, I like to think I, I have no proof, um, but I'm pretty certain. Well, is that a special <laughs> red phone with a skull on it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, two skulls. Yeah. 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 What about it, obviously. Yeah. Love you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that, that's what Daniel's been up to recently. Um, Dan, how about yourself? Uh, what have you been up to? Have you been uh, getting what have I been up to? Hands on with, yeah, uh, my hands on I mean, yeah, I've been playing some 10th edition. How about that? That's that's the thing that's been spoken about before here, but uh, not by me. So I really like tenth edition; it's cool. Um, there's lots of good stuff in it. Uh, it it's kind of um, obviously a bit balances all over the place at the moment, but they'll they'll fix it. Um, uh, I I just appreciate that they've sort of rounded off a lot of the 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 weird ragged corners of it from from previous editions yeah I, i'd say we we've sort of touched on it um a couple of episodes ago where it seems a lot smoother a lot more streamlined i think the gameplay is a lot better and quicker i've recently played um another game of it um for the channel actually um i've got a aldari versus orcs game which will be uh, coming up Ooh. soon um and to say that you know even that was like a game against an army i've not played in all of ninth edition and now in 10th and um was a you know on camera as well it didn't take us anywhere near as long it was a lot better um so yeah That's i'm looking forward to getting that For yeah me. i'm looking forward to getting that on the channel and sort of demonstrating our first 10th edition battle report um so yeah it's uh I'm enjoying it. Like you say, it's interesting how there's some discussion debate over balance issues at the moment, but that's more by the by for us. You know, we're just playing, yeah, for enjoying our armies. Like, I mean, it, it certainly has an effect. You don't want to play games where one side is just going to win, regardless. Um, but like I say, they'll definitely fix it. It's, you know. It was always going to be wonky at the start. I mean, it's worth saying as well that obviously you've just given a relatively positive review of your experience, and you've played the majority of your games, as far as I can tell, with your Death Guard, which I've yes. had a bit of... A... Yes, I've been playing Death Guard. <laughs> they and are quite bad. Right. 
I mean, you know, <laughs> tell us how you really think, Dan. Um... <laughs> and yeah, it seems like you've been having fun with them. And from what I've been seeing when you've been posting in like the Discord and stuff, um, like you've been you've been playing games. It's not like you've been, you know, just yeah. getting curbs for playing with Jeff. No, it's yeah. I mean, granted, I haven't played against uh, like Eldari with all of the the uh, more wound spam or against imperial knights or custodies or, or the you know the top tier stuff um but i played a couple of games early in the week and i beat a space wolf player and had a narrow loss against sister of battle so uh, they were both good games just fun i can't understand why they don't have feel no pain they've mm-hmm. always had something yeah. like that except second edition but They've always had something that makes them go just tougher. I, d- I don't. Yeah. I, d- I don't get it. Well, they've still got the extra I mean, toughness, but it, it's yeah, not quite the, enough. Uh, yeah, like I know they obviously they had the, this in ninth as well, but like the the contagion ability obviously kind of makes them incrementally more tougher than their opponent by reducing their opponent's toughness. Yeah, but I know what you're I, saying. That extra I have feel yeah. pain fridge reduction or something. Or, or the thing I thought would be very narrative and give them a bit more teeth is instead of those uh, contagion ranges making your opponent one less toughness, actually giving them plus one to wound against those targets would be quite cool, and also make a big difference on the heavier toughness. It'd be side very of powerful. Things. It would be, but could, oh, come on, they need all the out they can get at the moment. Yeah, it'd be nice. Um, it'd be nice. I'd take it. Uh, uh, I've, I've heard other people suggest that they just give everything an extra wound, which I, that'd, be, that'd be cool too. Play Corinth with three cool. wounds, I'd take uh, that. I think that would, uh, be, that would be oppressive, but yeah. The ninth edition <laughs> Chaos Space Marine conundrum. Ah, uh, yes. But, but generally speaking, yes, I'm enjoying it. I, I've had fun in all my games so far. They haven't been totally one-sided. Um, you know, it's it's a good addition, I think, uh, because the game kind of plays it, yeah. Yeah, smoother, but it's also just more like uh, uh, an engaging game, isn't it? There's less yeah. of the thing where your opponent just rolls loads of dice at you and all your men fall over. And that's that. Yeah. I've, I've been surprised at how more survivable things are now like not just in the sense of um like obviously tanks and things are a bit uh, tougher yep. but that is a significant difference like i've noticed you know like tanks and vehicles are not just falling over in the way they were before yeah. or could do um and in certain instances i do think a lot of armies have got more resilience built into various units in their armies that aren't just vehicles and so on i mean you and me, Dan, have talked about this before about just how tough orc boys are now. Oh yeah, and actually, the majority of that toughness comes from a combination of the the different characters that can join the units, the couple of stratagems that are available to them, yeah, and the increase to their armor save. Like just going from being yeah. army wide six up armor saves to army wide five up armor saves as your baseline. Suddenly, when you're moving that unit of orc boys into cover, and actually, 
you've got toughness five models with a four plus save. They're not dying to weapons that don't have any AP. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of stuff that lost AP as well. Hmm. Like, it's surprising how survivable an orc actually is when he gets a four plus save on a dice, be it from yeah. a custom force field, be it from cover, be it from the go to ground stratagem, which <laughs> is all of a sudden. <laughs> great on a unit of orc boys because it doesn't actually have any negative effect on them it just gives them benefit of cover in the open which again putting them on a four up save if you know you're going to use that stratagem against an ap dash attack it's actually really good for them yeah <laughs> and it seems like there are similar things in a lot of the other armies where you know units have um, certain stratagems or abilities or characters that add layers of survivability to units that otherwise aren't naturally yeah. as tough. Uh, um, it, I, I don't think it's just survivability. I think it's generally like the capability of units in general. Um, it kind of gets onto a, a thing I've, I've been wanting to talk about a bit is that it feels like Games Workshop have been over the past 10 years or so moving the game more towards trying to emulate the sort of like cinematic uh, feel you get from the sort of the Black Library books and the narrative in general because uh, it used to feel like the, the, like the narrative of the game and the game itself was completely disconnected like when yes. you know, Space Marines were just dying instantly all the time uh, and couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag it, and, you know, there was this versus big disconnect between what, written, what they're supposed yeah. to be versus the tabletop, and I, I, I think they've been trying to like remedy that all around. So yeah, I think almost everything has like a special ability, right? That, that yeah, kind of exactly. makes the unit do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, like um, for example, one of the ones that I, um, I think is really funny. Um, but also narratively driven. Well, actually, no, it's not even funny. It's just good. It's like narratively driven and effective for the unit. Um, Orc looters. In this new index version, um, they've got so they're effective like or not orc artillery, but they're the orc heavy weapons. You know, like devastator equivalents. Um, they've got a base. Their ability is that they get to reroll ones to hit against basically any target, but. If they're firing at a target which is on an objective marker, they get to reroll all failed to hits. But nice. the rule is the rule is called like um, get off our loot. <laughs> <laughs> like so, the idea is that they're they're not shooting them these enemies because they're particularly more accurate or strategically more viable to fire at them um, than anyone else. It's the fact that they see it as the enemy are taking their good loot. <laughs> so, they're more incentivized to blast them off here and be like get out of here that's ours is that that they get more accurate because they don't want to shoot the good bits <laughs> possibly that sounds very similar to like in the narrative sort of way my favorite rule that i like so far in a in a very fluff type way is the tech marine and tech priest rule which um I love the image of this. It's basically if a vehicle dies within 12 inches of a tech marine or a tech priest, um, he gets really cross and doubles his attacks. Yeah. I just love that idea of this really irritated tech priest going, 
You what? How dare you blow that up? What? Oh, I spent ages buffing and polishing and waxing and, and litanies and this and that, and you go ahead and blow it up. Right, I'm getting my axe and I'm going after you. <laughs> I just love that idea. They just get really annoyed. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> that that oh, was a amazing. sacred yeah. piece of ancient Hakio technology. It was a functioning Lehman Russ. <laughs> now it's not. <laughs> um, that tank survived so, 10,000 years until some orc shot it because it was standing next to some loot. I mean, I also like the fact that works with a Cyclops demolition vehicle. So. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> So you he's like so indecisive. He can't. I, I, I really need to blow this thing up. Oh, what I spent ages making. It. Oh, I'm so angry. Amazing. Like, Damn it. But, but I named that one. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but like, I do, so I do think another um, a good example of it is the new uh, Gravis Apothecary. How. Basically, his like special ability represents him being on his own little side quest, um, and like I can't, I can't remember the trigger condition, but it's the thing where when X thing is achieved by him or his unit, his personal objective control value goes up by like plus nine. Yeah, that's that's because he's he's basically discovered the thing he needs to use, and he yeah yeah. He he basically he's acquired whatever sample or important thing that he was trying to achieve on the battlefield in his own little role, um, yeah. Which means that like he's now a strategically important and viable asset on the table. Like what? He's yeah, he got is the is objective. Yeah, an extra objective. So wherever he goes is like crucial to the battle plan at this point now. So how that sort of translates into being like he now has high objective control because if he's at an objective then he's a value he's a high value thing to the space marines you know like that's an interesting idea that i think plays out well as um an interesting method for using um objective control as a new game mechanic like yeah i discovered recently that um the Spoil Pox Scrivener for Nurgle Demons. And I think there's a couple of similar abilities in other armies where his like leader ability is that when he joins a unit, all the models in that unit increase their objective control by one. Yeah. Um, but what's important about that, so not only does it take Plague Bearers from OC2 to OC3 per Plague Bearer, which is pretty great when then you've got like OC33 or whatever from him and his unit <laughs> at full stretch. It's just like 10 dudes. Um, but importantly, that's a modifier. So if the oh, unit nice. are shocked, they have an OC value of zero plus one per model from his ability. Yeah. So even whilst battle shocked, handy. the unit still has an OC value. Um, so they can still hold objectives. And it's obviously it's it, it makes a notable difference on the unit's OC value in total, and you would rather them not be battle shocked, but it doesn't render them useless if they are. Yeah. God, bands do something very similar, so they they yeah. increase they increase the OC value by one, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think there's a few similar effects in the game. 
Yeah, I think the Dark Angels, isn't that their whole thing? Like their yeah. detachment is something similar to that. Yeah. But just an interesting point to be like, oh, so actually it's zero plus one, not three reduced to zero, <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, because you do them the uh, the replacement first and then add the modifiers. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so you say obviously you've been playing a few games, Dan. Um, what yeah missions have you been playing? Then have you mostly been playing the Leviathan deck, as it were? Yeah, yeah, I've been playing the Leviathan deck. I, I think all of my games, apart from the one I played with you, where we just did the uh, the basic core rules mission. Um, yeah, basically, the I've played. <laughs> I've I've played the the punting servo skulls one twice now, which is I I particularly like because it's a bit silly. Uh, and like half the secondary cards don't really interact with it very well because they say like oh you've got to hold an objective at the end of your turn or something and uh you don't want to do that you want to kick it onto <laughs> onto the enemy's side so is that one a little bit like the um um oh, what's it called uh, bad squig yeah the bad squig mission the break the stalemate one uh maybe yeah, so that, that's the one. Yeah, so that's yeah. the one from Octarius that I use in the Crucible of War, where it's the lineup of sure. five objectives, and you try to move them into the opponent's yeah. side of the table. So that you're yes, it's like that, except there's three of them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you get more points the further they are towards your opponent's deployment zone. Uh, and obviously, yeah, your opponent is trying to kick it back to the middle and into your side and stuff um yeah it's funny because it's, uh that, very interesting that is one of the missions i picked out from the very beginning of the crucible of war when it was first in that warzone book as i thought like this feels like one of the real standout missions it's just such a clever and simple idea executed really well and everyone who's played it at any of the events have always commented on really enjoying it so it's it's interesting yeah. to see that that particular mission mechanic has made its way into like one of the ten edition core missions, effectively. Yeah, it's a brilliant. Like, it, mission. it feels it's... like it feels like the one that a lot of people are going to not like because it's different. Ah, yes. <laughs> there's always I always find in most of these GT packs and similar in recent years, there's always talk of a black sheep mission. That's the one that's, and it's usually considered the black sheep because there's something about it that's just mechanically different or off compared to the others, which God often, are like, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't conform, <laughs> um, and instead is something more akin to the sort of missions that we play all the time. Um, yeah, whenever I play. Yeah. Um, so like the uh, the the orc versus Eldar game that we uh, played the other week, and say I, I, won't, I won't give any spoilers, but um, the mission itself, um, it was one of these ones where we have like five objective markers, and um, each battle round from turn two onwards, one of them disappears. Oh, cool! Uh, right, um, and it, and the scoring is um, the scoring is like um, hold hold one or more, hold two or more, and then at the end of the battle round, whoever holds the most scored an extra ten. Right, 
um, yeah. which will be interesting because then rolling into the next round immediately after that is when one of them would then disappear. So you'd think you would like be holding the two or more that you need to hold, and then actually one of the ones you hold might disappear, and then you've only got one or more or none, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I was that was fun, um, and that was taken from um, the Tyrannic War book. Um, so in the okay. original, like the original law for that mission is that it's meant to be um, securing Archaeotech from vaults and stuff like that. Um, basically, sure. like, the world is ending, the Tyranids are consuming this planet quick, we need to try and evacuate everything of value. Yeah. <laughs> so and that's when things are either getting devoured or have otherwise now been secured and extracted. Um and like the spin we put on it was that it was the Eldar were trying to claim um, some fallen uh, soul stones, so it was about trying That's to nice. either re- yeah either recover the soul stone um, or uh, before it gets captured or damaged or broken or destroyed or whatever by the orcs. Eaten, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or it, it could be that, like, you know, if it's disappeared from the battlefield, it's because the Eldar have now collected it. Like, you know, they now have that. You know, soul stones, and it's not lying around anymore. Um, yeah. So yeah, like, and there's a whole bunch of these missions um, in there with some interesting uh, mission rules that play to particular factions as well. I think there's um, <laughs> there's one of the missions where the the mission rule is that um, any unit that is within range of an objective marker that they control um, that unit extends all aura abilities it has by like six inches oh wow um, which is particularly fun right. to the death guard because it obviously expands their contagion range yeah <clears throat> see silver lining you just have to play a very that niche mission, mission. <laughs> yeah all the time <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> yeah, because so that that one again, the original narrative of it is it's meant to be about um, striking back at a particular like uh, neural node network of the Tyranids. So the idea is that any Tyranids that are on the objective markers are extending their synapse range because they're using the neural network. Fair enough. But I do like repurposing it to be like this mission is for a death guard ritual so obviously like any death guard that are on the objective markers they're currently extending their contagions and their aura abilities and so on because they're currently empowering the ritual at those ritual sites they're extra stinky extra stinky (laughs) yep but yeah it's it's interesting the point you make Dan how like if you compare what effectively the battlefield role and effectiveness of a single 6th edition tactical marine is versus how a 10th edition uh, intercessor behaves yeah. you could definitely see that shift from like a space marine can be considered a rank and file human even though superhuman you just being a rank and file you know guy with a gun <laughs> to more the cinematic black library storytelling of the you know the superhuman with two wounds and fancy war gear and combat doctrines and all the rest of it you know taking to the field of battle and holding to his oath of moment yeah yeah and they're they're obviously doing it where they're balancing the game around it so 
you know that space marine is is getting more powerful but so is uh so are the orcs who get who've got toughness five now and so on and so are the tyranids who are have uh you know extra extra bonuses they got loads of extra attacks and wounds or strength or or whatever um yeah they like it just feels like uh the the game is is more designed with the intent that you enjoy the narrative of it as it plays rather than like you you have a story of it and then the game just happens like unrelated to yes. that yeah, I mean, even little things like we're talking about, you know, the whole Servo Skull mission, it doesn't just feel so much like these are just blips on the table that represent someone noble objective marker. It's more like these are Servo Skull, like these are Servo Skulls, which are being pursued around the table, you know, in an attempt to scan and secure data and so on. Yeah. I mean, we saw it with 9th edition, didn't we, when they put in the, like, the GT packs, but themed them all slightly. Around certain war zones yes. or whatever, you know, retrieve Octarius <laughs> data and all that. Yeah, and then Nakwan data, and then yeah, um, uh, uh, Nephilim data and all the rest of it. Yeah. Do you think they have a real issue with GDPR in the forty-first millennium? Yeah, probably. They can't even agree on the official imperial date. I know, but I just, I just feel like there's a lot of data downloads without anyone asking whether it's the right thing to do. Or whether anyone's got permission to do it. Yeah, it's true. There's uh, there's lots of scrap code going around as well, though, isn't there? Exactly. You need to be careful of that. Always just transmitting stuff into space, never putting any VPNs on any of this. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. It's not safe. It's not good. It's not good practice. You can't transmit data securely unless you have a very powerful Necron. Everybody knows that. Yeah, a very powerful Nezawa VPN stands for very powerful Necro. <laughs> uh, this, this podcast sponsored by very powerful Necron. Or well, from from the Nord dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you say Dan obviously how it's nice to see this um you know shift in how some of the units perform and behave on the table to feel more, you know, like lawformatic and grandiose. Um, because I do think it's always funny how one of the problems that 40k has always suffered from is if you, you know, if you read anything about the faction that you play and you don't just pick them up for essentially, you know, meta chasing purposes, like if you pick them up because you have an invested, you know, interest in their and who they are in the universe and that, and the role or threat that they pose to you know the galaxy as a whole 99% of the factions always obviously come across as being basically the best of the best the biggest badasses the ones with the most technological sure, yeah. advantage and it's like they all, all of them in theory are effectively meant to be superpowers, unbeatable threats, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, in a world where the superhuman space marine is often referred to as the baseline, you know, stat unit of the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, the, the, there's always the... I always remember the days of, like, 6th and 7th edition where various special rules would often represent... 
um, certain negatives to be implied on units, even things like, you know, here's the good old fear rule, but literally every space marine in the game is yeah. immune to fear because they have the literal no, we know no fear rule. <laughs> um, yeah, th this rule will only affect about two armies in the game. Yeah, because it, <laughs> cause it's like, okay, all space marines, they're all immune to, to fear. Great. Um, all Necrons, they're all Egypt 10. They're basically never going to fail the test. Uh, Tyranids, terrible Egypt, but they're always in synapse range. They always automatically pass. And it, I, I loved, <laughs> there was this flow chart that was basically for a lot of these special rules was always like, um, does it affect X, Y, and Z? Like demons, fearless, you know, and so on, because they're demons, you know, ethereal uh, entities from beyond reality. They, they, they don't have mortal fear. So they always just came down to basically this rule affects guard. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> garden orcs, and you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes it didn't even like really bother orcs a great deal, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the amount of times that, like, yeah, the the amount of times be things like, oh, the night fighting rules affect everybody except for anyone in power armor because they're a space marine and they have acute senses. Um, any, anyone who is an Eldari because they have heightened senses. Uh, Tyranids because they are biologically adapted to fighting any hazardous environment so they're not affected by the darks. Of course they have night vision. Um, demons, again, they have a fear, they have a femoral sight. It doesn't matter to, for them. They see people's souls through the warp. They don't. It's basically, again, guard yep. and maybe orcs. <laughs> You can't see in the dark. Great. Um, and yeah, it's, it's this interesting dichotomy how every time you throw two factions together, both players, purely from the lore in their codex, probably feel like, well, of course, you know, uh, my space marines should be able to defeat these Tyranids because look at, you know, all the resources and training and, you know, uh, biological enhancements and everything that goes into making a space marine. We have tyrannic war veterans. We literally have, you know, stories in the lore about the first company of space marines of the ultramarines fighting off to defend the entire invading force on the crag. I mean, admittedly, they died to a man <laughs> to achieve it, but they did it. You know, like these these hundred space marines fighting off an entire invasion fleet. You feel like, of course, they should be able to kill these tyrannids. But then, of course, you have the Tyranid player that's read up about all these perfectly biologically adapted killing machines and all the ways that they can circumvent all these different, you know, defenses and how they're always adapting faster than their, you know, prey worlds um, can possibly respond to or learn from. And they talk about prey worlds as being literally just that, you know, snacks for lunch. They come and go. It's just assumed that they successfully devour worlds at a time. And actually, it's a real effort to actually fortify and defend the world long enough to hold off a hive fleet because it's just considered an inevitability. Yeah. I mean, of course my carnivores yeah, the, should um... rip this squad of Terminators. But then the space wing player also thinks, but of course my squad of Terminators should kill this carnifix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the uh, the game of 40k always represents like a climactic battle. Like if it were a Black Library novel, this would be the, the final chapter, right? Yes, but or the, the the actual game on the tabletop represents just a small portion of the larger battle that's happening. But you know, because yeah. this is where, but the most important part, yeah, you know, that's the bit you're zooming in on. Um, 
So this is the bit where Mortarion turned up. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting how it's difficult to walk away from some games without someone having a feel bad. You know. Yeah. From the from the perspective of like, well, I'm used to my. It's the typical thing of people always often say with Space Marines is like they don't feel like Space Marines because they die too easily or they don't kill enough or there's not enough of them or whatever. But do you think though, Tony, that's the limitations of a tabletop war game? And I'm not talking about 40k specifically here. I'm talking about at the end of the day, it is a game and can only be certain things can only happen due to the restrictions of said rules so absolutely yes like yeah and i i think it's about finding that balance um between that abstracting of the rules and the law to be able to represent the fact that you know we can play a game that represents a battle between space marines and tyranids regardless of whether or not within the setting that particular fight is either a forlorn hope for one of the factions because it's either the space marines know that they're just fighting to the last and they're not going to survive this conflict as a whole or the only reason the space marines are there is because they're uh, mopping up you know the remnants of a uh, essentially beaten high fleet and they're just just you know resecuring yeah. imperial planets you know it's very rare that like you say um the actual lore of the conflict wouldn't have a more than likely predetermined outcome but on the tabletop it comes down to you know the cards drawn the objective seized the dice rolled you know and it lets us create that sense of tension and um story you know within our game yeah yeah like you can't have both armies being the main character of the book right exactly if we're going yes, with the black library no- novel analogy yeah unless it's uh uh was it prospero burns and a thousand sons <laughs> well i was about to say uh it'll be interesting to see how they do the new um belisarius call meets fabius biles book <laughs> is that that is a thing isn't it it's coming out yeah, that's a thing that is coming out because, like they say, that's two very interesting characters where you would have to assume, especially the way it's been built, they're both going to get a significant amount of story time, you know, and their motives and whatever they're going to be clashing over. But, but yeah, I mean, so for me personally, I know that the, the way I found that I, I've made my peace with this aspect of the game and the hobby is that. That's why I don't play Space Marines. That's cheating. I play a lot of the antagonistic races, a lot of the ones where, regardless of the outcome at the table, it feels like a, a satisfying end. Because with my orcs, it's either, you know, if I'm fighting Space Marines, it's like, well done, the Space Marines. They saved the day and defeated the Orcs. You know, great. That's what they're meant to do. They're Space Marines, even if it was a close-fought battle and they, you know, suffered heavily to achieve it. But if the Orcs win, it's still one of those things where it's like, 
like, it feels like orcs win battles. They do, you know, destroy worlds. They do, they, they do inflict horrendous casualties on space marines. But also at the same times, orcs are often in the law ultimately defeated. That you know, mm-hmm. there's a time when, you know, back in third, maybe fourth edition, orcs might have been seen as the existential threat of the galaxy. You know, like there's just they're always there. There's too many of them. They'll never really be stopped. If they were ever to unite, they'll be an unstoppable force. That role these days for me feels more fulfilled by the Tyranids. They are the existential threat to the galaxy as a whole. That's like this inevitable, you know, end of end of all sort of threat. And the orcs fulfill more a force of nature. They're more like um, a natural disaster. They come crashing through. They're an inevitability that just cannot be stopped and has to be dealt with and has to be weathered and survived. Sure. They're never going to be yeah, defeated. They're, they're, they're just there. They're just there. And, and you can't do anything <laughs> about it. It's just annoying. Just. <laughs> but then the same is true of like... Uh, so the other two main armies that I own um, are... Chaos Demons, specifically Demons, not like Chaos Space Marines, and Necrons. Both of which have a very similar vibe and feel to them. You know, if the de- if the demons are defeated by whatever army they're playing against, fight, you know, great. They, they defeated the demonic incursion this day. But also at the same time, if the demons do succeed, then, you know, that's a thing that happens. Chaos does, you know, consume worlds and planets, and, you know, the demons have uh, ravaged reality that day and that's fine you know <laughs> but again i don't feel bad if my demons get defeated because that's a very crucial point of law again you know it's like the slaying of the demon the banishing the holding back of chaos another day on that on that note of playing the uh antagonist uh factions um my point that games workshop are slowly trying to make you know the whole process of the game more uh more like in line with law um uh, i assume we've all noticed that in the past decade or so they've been releasing far more books that are about not in the imperium uh yes and i think we discussed this at another point of which i can't remember but gasgill prophet of the war is one of the best books i've ever read it's brilliant (laughs) it's yeah it's very good Yes, I, I read it. It was great. Um, it is a good book, um, and yeah, you're right. It's it. it there's often this um, not joke as such because it, it, it's just true. Effectively, um, the, this idea that when someone's new to the setting and the environment or the game, one of the first questions is often like, "So who's the good guys and who's the bad guys?" And obviously, yeah. anyone who knows the universe and the law knows that there are no good guys. It's all bad guys are morally grey at best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, like the Imperium is not a good place. It is not the good guys. Oh, it no. is simply It never yeah. has been. It never has been. <laughs> it's awful. You know, Space Marines are not angelic heroes. They are genetically engineered like human monsters, effectively. You know, they are, you know. Yeah. 
machines of war devoid of empathy and humanity and you know that's the whole point about being post-human and transhuman and all the rest of it is they they give up their humanity to become these living weapons <laughs> um and you know it's it's great you know selling the idea of a, a space marine to you know the the new 10 year old who wants to get into the hobby Try explaining to the mother buying those space marines the actual indoctrination process that goes into creating a space marine and where that abducted child has come from and gone through <laughs> to become the hero of the setting. <laughs> and then suddenly yeah. you get a, a clearer picture of what the Imperium is. It's fine. There's, a, I mean, you know, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's not a problem. It feels just as valid to, like root for the orcs or the necrons or the tyranids or anyone else as it is to root for the space marines right yeah <laughs> but that's what makes 40k 40k if it didn't have well, exactly it, 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 it yeah it would it that's what makes 40k the whole point you know it's not not in the grim darkness of the far future there's only war for a reason that you know it's yeah. it's it's it, that's what makes it so different and so enjoyable is you can There's take a... great entertainment from, you know, sending hordes of guardsmen to their deaths, or you can find slight amusement when an orc weapon backfires and ex- he accidentally shoots his mate. In, and that's what's fun. It's quite British. It's very British. It's that sort of yeah. laughing at yeah. sort of very bleak things, um, which yep. is cool. It's not so much like for the Imperium. While there has been a slight shift away from this in recent years it, it's never been about the the fight for the like survival of the human race and the expansion of the you know the imperium and the empire of man it's about this is the end times these are the wars fought during the raging against the dying of the light you know humanity yeah. had its chance and the horus heresy burnt it all down and the imperium yeah. has just been slowly dying ever since and like while the Eldari are the dying race of the setting they're not they're just the elder dying race of the setting they're the the ones that are dying first yeah (laughs) you've got you've got the Necrons the elder dead race of the setting the Eldari the elder dying race um, the Imperium the currently dying race and then the Tau the ones who were think that they're the the ones to change it all, but they inevitably will not. Are they the, the <laughs> race that's dead but doesn't realise it yet? Yeah, pretty much. Like the, gra- yeah. the greater good is dead. The greater good is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> like, the they have reached the point yeah, they, <laughs> they've reached the point now where they themselves are starting to fall to the sort of necessities of xenophobia and genocide and everything that the universe of 40k forces upon them in order to survive. What was my point of all this? I was making. A I have oh, no yes. idea. It's it's gone <laughs> way off tangent. Yeah. So 40K obviously, it's a bad place. That's what we're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, so while there has been a little shift against that with the returns of things like um, Rebuta Gilliman and now you know the Lion and so on, and uh, it's funny how it feels like there's more a time of hope and um, potential brighter future for the Imperium with the return of the Primarchs, 
but at a time when really it's the worst it's ever been. The whole reason why they're back is yeah. because you know the Great Rift has torn the galaxy in half. You know, um, since Eighth Edition and sort of like the Rift first appearing back in 2017, as it were, um, like there's been very little actually explored in the law, even in Black Library, on what it's actually like over in Imperium Nihilus. There's only recently yeah. novels that have started to actually be set there, like yeah. Um, Spears of the Emperor, and I believe yep. the most recent one that's about the Return of the Lion is set. Uh, yes, yeah, it is. Also, the Ark of Omen last book is quite... Because that's set in that side, isn't it? Because it's Dante and that lot finding... E yes. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, like you say, the, the Imperium is collapsing slowly, right? That's the whole point. Uh, and we all remember the the tenth edition launch trailer uh, with Gilliman <laughs> yeah. saying how how it's all gone in the toilet because the tyrannids are here. <laughs> he looks so upset, bless him. Yep. I've never felt so. Ah, oh, I did feel for him. And then I remember he. <laughs> and then I remember he's Rupert Gilliman, and then I think oh, actually no, you probably deserve it. Yes. It's. It, I think also the saddest part of that was um, the scene where he's like at the memorial gates of what I believe is meant to be Sanguinius's tomb. Um, uh, no, I heard it was the silver gates of the emperor. So it's before you go into the palace. I could be wrong, but that's what I, I don't know. Sorry, but well, even, even, if anyone way, knows, let us know. Yes, yeah. it would be interesting to know. Um, either way, it's it's about that feeling of like forlorn, lost hope, you know, where he's he just he's not even like angry about what the Imperium's become. He's just sad, like he's just. I'm like, not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's 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 that feeling of like longing for the the lost connection with effectively that family member on the other side of that gate, being yeah. either his lost Sanguinius or his father, you know, entombed on the throne. Yeah. <laughs> And just been like, it's, you know, of all, I, I'm just alone in the world now, you know, until such time as yeah. he's going to bump into the lion. <laughs> I mean, you have way looked into that trailer more than me because I was like, oh, look at the explosions! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> look, there's a screaming kill. Oh, that guy's face melted off. The two different aspects of 40k that are very sort of serious. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's very good. And then, ah, guns, explosions, yeah! <sighs> and isn't that what 40k is all about? I mean, yeah. Those two things. Very, very, very sort of, was it, opposites sort of coming together yeah. in this sort of bizarre, surreal universe that we love. And yet, it's funny to see the sort of tonal shift of that on the tabletop from the the the, you know, the glorious uh, days of the red phase and the goblin green bases back in second edition, where it very much had that more sort of like toy soldiers feel to it, to now the sort of you know more yeah. grim dark aesthetic of the models themselves even if it is in the sort of cleaner heavy metal style yeah it's funny you should say that though because a lot of the writing in the you know i don't know it's how familiar you are with, it's really quite like for it 
One of the best pieces of um, short stories is in Angels of Death, where it's this platoon or squad of guardsmen who are trying to assault this cathedral and um, and can't because there's like traitor guard in the cathedral. And the a Blood Angel veteran assault squad turns up and they're like, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to go in there? He's like, yes, we are. And they go in and they... And the the description of the butchery is graphic to say the least. <laughs> that um, sounds about right. Yeah, so it is. It, I think I think it was more the art style rather than the yes, the yeah actual uh, grim darkness of the of the material. That, yeah, the, yeah, the, that's the what art really style was very very grim dark as well. Like everything in second edition in the actual books was very dark and grim. Uh, and horrific and nasty and like probably the worst in that regard that it's been in 40k but then you had the full color pages of stuff like your battle with bright blue ultramarines versus bright colored orcs with spiky plants like two pages apart yeah um and what i find fascinating and this kind of we're going full circle here, which is quite good, um, is the fact that current GW is taking a hell of a lot of um, uh, references from second and first and yes. third. So that there was an, even an article in White Dwarf this month about how something might be mentioned way back. And they go, cool, we like that idea. We'll, we'll yeah. establish it, make it more I mean, I mean, what's the most recent race that got added back to 40k right exactly yeah soats <laughs> soats soats you have to hear first yeah I'm not I'm not it's, I mean Blackstone Fortress it's yeah yeah I mean I, I guess this is kind of my point is that Games Workshop have been slowly turning the game into a sort of um like patchwork of all the best bits from the past uh, and making it feel like all that stuff fits like yeah. in previous editions we've had stuff where yeah as described in second edition the art style and the 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 writing did not fit the way it was painted by the studio and the way the game played because the game was really weird right uh and it's we're slowly over time getting closer and closer to the point where it feels right, like as described, and as you think it yeah. should be. Yeah, that's the goal, I right? Mean, and they're not—they're not there. That I—they no. never will be perfectly there, but it's getting closer. Do you, do you think that's helped by them releasing a hell of a lot more Black Library character? More? I've noticed that's happening a lot as well. Yes. Um, yes. They're releasing a lot more characters. So they've just released um, the Cadian Sergeant Lady, whose name I've forgotten. Uh, but you know, the one with the Lasgun and the bolt pistol. And, and yeah. amazingly, I think this is the first time ever they've done this. But they've just announced the fact that they've released. I know this is not technically 40k related, but I could see this happening to something like Angels of Death or something. They've released uh, Black Talon as a as a a warband type thing, which yes. is like, oh wow, that's an animation tie-in, which is sensible. Um, 
so that was there's a lot of that going on i notice as the books tie in a lot more uh with, yeah with what they've got so two I, things I firstly uh, her ne- her name is minka lesk that's the one uh and secondly does that mean we will have a henry cavill miniature one day <laughs> <laughs> no because we're never going to get a miniature of the emperor we know that <laughs> <laughs> And it's Valdor. It's Valdor. Valdor is same cover. Um, you say that there are a lot of miniatures that the designers have based phases on. So, uh, and and you'll get the reference, Tony. But the um, the uh, Palanite enforcers from Necromunda. One of the the heads is sculpted exactly like the actor who plays the Punisher from uh, the Leia series. Uh, it's pretty cool. I can't remember the actor's nice. name because I'm rubbish with names. Um, but, yeah, I can remember uh, yeah. the um, I can remember the actor's name either. I just know it's Frank Castle is yep. the body yep. character name. Yeah. <laughs> so there is that. I mean, they always do that cheeky sort of stuff, which is yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'd I'd love to see um, some of the like characters from like um, Hammer and Bolter and stuff. You know, like some of those. Um, yes. Because like, I, so I remembered one of the things I, I was circling around to earlier. Uh, I sort of lost my train of thought with it all. Was that um, I think one of my favorite representations to date about what the Imperium and what Space Marines are really like as a whole in the setting is the Hammer and Bolter episode from the perspective of the Eldar. Whispering Garden. Okay. No, Go- Garden of Ghosts is one of the no. greatest animation, forty k animations ever. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's my favourite Hammer and Bolter episode by far. Um, just the whole... The Ultramarines being represented as the antagonists, you know, of a storyline that is, you know, heartfelt, meaningful, and about the preservation of something good and pure in the 40k universe. And it's not being destroyed by Tyranids, Orcs, Chaos. It's been destroyed by the Ultramarines because... They're xenophobic and they're destroying aliens. Yeah, Those I did. Bright sh- blue bastards. I did shed a tear. I did shed a tear when uh, that space marine got his head caved in by the Avatar. I was like, oh, that's, that's really sad. He, he wanted to kill more Xenos and he, he couldn't. So, <laughs> I mean, I must disagree with you on the best. I think the best episode of Hammer and Bolt is the Gene Steeler one. If if you've not seen it, it's pretty good. Which one? I mean, the ending, the ending is obvious. Oh, I mean the yeah. one, the the planetary yeah, eva- evacuation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it is good, um, and you can see you can see where it's going. But I also like the fact that um, that like reveal at the end, it totally justifies the actions of the guardsmen earlier turning on the commissar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Also. Like, no, go on, Tony. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going because until obviously you know the twist at the end, I felt like even by guardsman standards, the like the way and like the conviction that this guy has when he turns on the commissar felt like something that was out of character. Yeah. Right. Until- I'm going to say something. I'm just going to put in a spoiler. 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 So, um, what I liked is the fact that. Um, it shows why people can't see uh, Gene Steeler cult members normally. Because I always, you always think, well, 
obvious. They're all bald and they got a crest on. But it shows, it kind of semi shows that Gene's still a cult member right there. Uh, it kind of shows <laughs> how how they've got that whole latent psychic, you can't really tell I'm an alien type thing, uh, which they sort of kind of infer at the end of the episode, which is quite cool. Um, yeah. There's um there's a a similar uh, plot device they use in Doctor Who regularly that um that I like it and very similar to this phenomenon where it's the like perception uh, phases or filters totally. where they, yeah yeah they they put on these like gadgets basically they they don't make you invisible but the idea is they basically shift you into people's peripheral vision rather yeah. than the yeah. vision so the idea is like. If they're really concentrated, and if you do something that obviously really draws attention, they will see you. But if you're just passing by, you are just that. You're just a passerby because you're just not drawing the eye. And yeah. it's that same sort of phenomenon on, obviously, like a psychic level, the you know the psychic cloaking that the hive mind and the tyranids are sort of imposing on anyone trying to view the cultists, cultists for what they actually are. Yeah. Until they want it to be, they do like Jeans and the Colors. That they're a good baddie, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, because... because if they succeed, huzzah! You know, Ascension Day has come. Great, woo! That's what they're supposed to do. But also, if they're thwarted and they are defeated, it's like, ah, damn you, Imperium! I'll <laughs> get you next time. <laughs> and there's like a Jeans and the Hybrid shaking all three of his fists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're they're a particularly good villain because they they highlight the the sort of flaws of the Imperium, right? Because yes. that's how the cult works. It it finds you know cruelty and hardship and and goes, hey, do you know what's better than this this shit life? If if you get eaten by aliens in the future, but don't worry about that. We'll just we'll work towards that. It'll be fine. Cthulhu will eat you last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> eat the rich and everyone else yeah they have a great pension scheme they've got great benefits there's you know three square meals a day which isn't your you know isn't corp starch which is a bonus yep um yeah i can see a lot of positives <laughs> i would i would still one day love to run a uh, a 40k tabletop RPG where the party is a gene stealer cult trying to Ooh, yeah, take that'd over be fun. a planet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've, that would be cool. That would be very cool. You've naturally got a lot of like the classes in all the gene stealer cult characters. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got the class diversity for the party. Um, but also, I just love the idea of. Um, if it could go one of two ways, you could either run it as like a dead serious 40k like espionage, your tabletop RPG thing, or you could have it that slightly comical like they're always trying but always failing kind of like attitude yeah. to it. Yeah. <laughs> Where they're just like, they're just trying their best to take over the planet just, so they can please yeah. their hive mind overlords. No, because now I've got images of Pinky and the Brain in just yeah. in a cold format. What are we trying to do this week, Gene Stiller? Trying to take over the world. And today oh. we're going to do it by this cockamamie plan, because apparently yeah. for whatever reason, 
really need to loot an um an Arvis lighter and fly it up to the top of the hive you know and then next week it's uh now we need to get down into the subterranean system and pollute the water system you know <laughs> and every see, time Eva succeeds and... <laughs> see i do think that's cool what i think would be cooler is to have a role play system where you're playing normal uh only war stuff but one member of the party is Gene Sealer Colt and they don't know who. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That would be cool. A bit of a social production game, eh? Ah. Uh, that'd be cool. I had, um, there's, there's one idea I've had for a long time as a GM in a 40k environment where through like emergent storytelling, when the group inevitably encounter an NPC that becomes like either an inexplicable center of attention or an inexplicable like hanger on that the GM just hasn't anticipated in any way and the party sort of ended up like dragging this NPC along <laughs> or, or you end up with an NPC who somehow miraculously survives or kills some big horrible enemy and you're just like you know how on earth did that random guardsman achieve that um, th there's a later reveal like after the fact, the GM decides that that character was all along a Calibus assassin. Nice, <laughs> and it's just like revealed that they were actually an Imperial agent, and obviously they were currently in polymorph form, and that's why they were this random spot guardsman who managed to take out a Carnifix. <laughs> <laughs> like I always want that. That would be a fun like little spanner to throw in the works at some point for a. An RPG party. Do some yeah, interesting there's a, stuff. There's a lot of weird stuff like that in 40k, isn't there? That um, uh, would fit good in in that kind of situation. Yeah, because yeah, another interesting trope that you get um, in the 40k setting is that if you're trying to do something that's sort of RPG based or whatever, and if you're writing a Black Library book, what are you trying to do with with your protagonists is why are these characters special and different to yeah all the other guardsmen out there or all the other space marines out there like what why is it that there's something that these guys are always in the mix or always getting sent to unusual places yeah. or miraculously pulling off the impossible you know <laughs> yeah, so I think Black Library yeah. I think Black Library do something very well with that whereas or I know Abnet has a tendency to do this and a couple of other people is they write a character and you think, this is a really cool character and it just turns out they're just a random meat sack who's going to get blown away and they've just been a, a plot device to move everyone on which is quite fun Yeah, I guess that's another way of doing it I, I know that like the issue for me with um, trying to create like only war campaigns and stuff where obviously again, tabletop RPG everyone's playing a squad of guardsmen how do you make it that your squad of guardsmen are not necessarily the center of attention, but always like the center of activities, you know, that are going on whilst they're meant to just be part of this massive regiment, you know, or whatever? Why is it they sure. are always the ones who keep getting sent to see the headmaster because they're in trouble again? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Why is it that they personally um, are like a squad that um, the Supreme Commander knows because he's fed up with seeing them on your know, post-action reports yeah. or having to deal with them again because they've you know somehow been court-martialed again or one of them is once again accused of being an unsanctioned psychic for some reason or whatever. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I think one of the... Um, is it Sandy Mitchell who wrote the Cyphers Kane books? Yep. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that they do really well with that and basically being able to give Kane additional motivations beyond... Um, being a commissar in the guard with then his selfish twist on obviously wanting to just survive at all costs is the fact that he is basically an indentured imperial um, inquisitorial agent like he yeah. he's always having to basically act out on the secret missions of the you know the inquisitor that basically has him on like <laughs> involuntarily on the payroll <laughs> as it were uh, and if he doesn't do as she wants then obviously he's in for it so a lot of the time that like you say as a plot device forces his hand to have to put himself in harm's way or go deal with a certain thing or make sure someone does or doesn't die when he wouldn't normally be bothering with that himself yeah Kane, Kane is a good example of that kind of character the sort of wrong place wrong time to yeah. character that you want to see quite a lot of yeah I, like I, I i want to catch up with all the um the cypher skate novels i think i was on about book six when i last was on them and i think he's had about 10 books or something like that you know i've, I've, yeah, I think I've read just... more than there isn't if that makes sense i've read majority yeah. of them but not caught up they've just released sure. a new one this month i think yeah oh really one reason why I want to catch up. yeah but anyways, yeah. So I think that is a that's a fair roundabout selection of things that we've talked about tonight. The uh, the glorious days of uh, second edition and bring out your lead through to the heroic endeavors of Space Marines, both in the lore and on the table, and ultimately to the uh, futile endeavor that actually is existing in the forty first millennium. <laughs> yep. Especially if you play if you play Death Guard. <laughs> yeah, because they suck. <laughs> Hopefully not for long. Who knows? Maybe something yes, might change. I am kidding, future. of course. Yeah, I do think it is an interesting time that you know we're on the cusp of the start of the Codex cycle, and it's going to be interesting to see what the the real phase of tenth edition looks like when we get those first codexes yeah. in a couple of months time oh yes yeah yeah it'd be very telling won't um, it yeah um, let the yes. complaining commence <laughs> continue you and, mean yeah sorry continue and if you would like to direct any of those complaints or questions or queries about the future of the hobby to us directly where can people find us all well, I, I think, first of all, if they need to direct some complaints or queries about the 40k universe, they should put it in the comment section in YouTube, right, after they've liked yeah. and subscribed. And dingle that dongly dong. That's what they should dingle do. The <laughs> yep. But only if no one's watching. <laughs> <laughs> and then they should like and subscribe afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, once people have done that, once they have uh, liked and subscribed here on YouTube or uh, given us a review or such on your podcasting platform of choice, uh, one, we very much appreciate that. And then two, where can uh, people be finding us all on our Instagrams? Dan, where can people find Redtooth? Uh, you can find me as Redtooth in most places on the internet. 
Um, red <laughs> underscore tooth with a with an F is me on the Instagram. Again, for our YouTube viewers, that should already be on screen for people, and you should be able to see that and go find us on there. And uh, Daniel, where can people uh, find you? Yeah, you can find me on inst- on the Instagrams, uh, Garage Hobbit, all one word, no spaces. Um, because they can. A garage Hobbit. <laughs> oh, that's not going to go away, is it? No. No, no it's not. Nope. I'll try my no. best, but I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, uh, that's a good. Gone. It's a good evolution of the uh, of, of the name. I, I like it. It's got a certain je ne sais quoi about yeah. it. <laughs> um, and then as myself, as always, you can find me uh, here on YouTube at Narrative Wargamer. You can also find me over on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. And again, in most places, that's where you will find me. Um, if you have been enjoying the show, um, and like I say, give us a like and subscribe. It does help support the show. Um, it helps the algorithm. It helps more people find us. Helps more people enjoy our sort of light take on the grim dark, as it were, <laughs> um, or possibly our grim take on the grim dark, depending <laughs> on how we feel on any given night. Um, and yes, there is also a Patreon. Um, you can support the show there as well. It helps um, pay for all the upkeep that is involved in the podcast because, funnily enough, it isn't free to run. There are various things that you're paying for and the Patreons. I'm very grateful for the fact that they help with that. Um, and yeah, also, um, in the description below, there will be details to the latest Narrative Wargamer event taking place this October. So if you are interested in attending a two-day Narrative Crusade 40k event, using the new 10th edition rules then uh, go check that out full details on event pack are below and we'll probably have a discussion or an episode about it at some point in the near future possibly a before and after we'll see um and yeah i think i think that's everything isn't it yeah yeah i think so um well then until next time guys this has been the narrative wargamer podcast helping you to discover more ways to play 40k. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.